all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Heat index, yeah, it's going to feel more like 105 to 107. So make sure you take frequent breaks and most importantly, stay well hydrated. Now temperatures tonight will drop into the low 70s, still in the low 90s tomorrow. And then finally, northeast wind kicks in, keeping us in the 80s Saturday. I'm David Maddox for MPB. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. If your family has lived in the South for any length of time, you know that we have more than our share of allergies. Food allergies in particular can be a major problem and, if unrecognized, can be fatal. Can you prevent food allergies? Are some worse than others? If your child is allergic to a certain food now, does that mean that they'll grow out of it? We'll be tackling these questions and others this morning as we talk about food allergies in children on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. If you have any questions or comments about food allergies, we would love to hear from you this morning. You can reach us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lori London. Donald Trump is addressing the American Legion in Cincinnati a day after his rival Hillary Clinton spoke to the same group. I will appoint a secretary of Veterans Affairs whose personal mission will be to clean up the VA. The secretary's sole mandate will be to serve our veterans, not bureaucrats, not politicians, but our great veterans. Today's speech follows a meeting Wednesday with Mexico's president, where the Republican nominee seemed to take on a more moderate tone, which changed dramatically in a highly anticipated speech on immigration last night in Arizona. Trump didn't ease up on his position on illegal immigration and instead told supporters that anyone who has entered the U.S. illegally is subject to deportation. Two senior retired military generals have just announced their endorsements of Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton. NPR's Susan Davis has more. In a joint statement, retired four-star generals Bob Senewald and David Maddox announced their support for Clinton. The two men have never publicly endorsed a presidential candidate before, but said in the statement that they see only one viable leader this November. The two retired generals join a growing group of military and intelligence officials who have endorsed Clinton. Many of them are Republicans, such as former National Security Advisor Brent Scowcroft, former Deputy Secretary of State Richard Armitage, and former Director of National Intelligence John Negroponte. Susan Davis, NPR News, Washington. Florida's governor has closed state offices in 51 counties as parts of the East Coast are under a tropical storm warning. Tropical storm Hermine is expected to strengthen to a hurricane by the time it makes landfall along Florida's Gulf Coast tonight or early tomorrow. The warning extends from Marineland, Florida, northward to the South Santee River in South Carolina. 
Hawaii's Big Island is also being hit with heavy rain and wind from Tropical Storm Madeline, which has been downgraded from a Category 3 hurricane. SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket has exploded on a launch pad at Cape Canaveral in Florida. From member station WMFE in Florida, Brendan Byrne has details. The Air Force's 45th Space Wing says there was a significant explosion at Launch Complex 40 this morning. Flames and black smoke could be seen at the pad, and the plume of smoke was picked up by local radar. There are no reported casualties, and the area was evacuated. Officials say there is no threat to public safety. SpaceX planned to launch a communications satellite for Israeli operator Amos this weekend. Officials say the explosion occurred during a pre-launch test fire the Falcon 9's engines. Witnesses say the explosion rattled buildings miles away from the launch pad. For NPR News, I'm Brendan Byrne in Orlando. On Wall Street, stocks are lower as investors digest a slew of economic reports. The Dow down 78 points. This is NPR. Georgetown University is working to atone for profiting off the sales of slaves. The University of Washington D- in Washington, D.C. plans to give preference in admissions to the descendants of slaves owned by the Maryland Jesuits. In 1838, two priests who served as president of the university orchestrated the sale of 272 people to pay off the school's debts. The slaves were sent from Maryland to plantations in Louisiana. Riots have erupted in Gabon a day after the sitting president was declared the winner of last weekend's disputed election. NPR's Ophabia Quist-Arkton reports the main opposition challenger claims he won and accuses the presidential guard of bombing his party headquarters. Witnesses report the sound of gunfire in Gabon's capital, Libreville. Gabonese opposition leader Jean Ping has reportedly gone into hiding after a helicopter attack on his headquarters. A government spokesman says the operation was to root out criminals who'd earlier set fire to parliament. Gabonese opposition protesters took to the streets of Libreville crying foul and claiming vote fraud after President Ali Bongo Ondimba was proclaimed re-elected by a narrow margin over Ping. Ping says Bongo stole the election and people are being denied democracy in the oil-rich Central African nation. Ophelia Quistarton, NPR News. British Airways plans to resume direct flights to Iran today. It follows the lifting of sanctions on Iran as part of the nuclear deal. Service had been suspended in October of 2012. I'm Lori London, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Carbonite for backing up and restoring office and home computers to the cloud automatically. Learn more at Carbonite.com. And the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation at macfound.org. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning. 
This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and you're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm professor of uh, internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC and program director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Almost every Mississippi family or anybody in the South probably has somebody who is struggling with allergies. But food allergies in particular can be a big problem. In some extreme cases, an allergy to a food can result in a hospitalization or even death. Does your child have a food allergy? Can you prevent food allergies? And what's the best way to treat an allergy if your son or daughter has one? We'll be talking about food allergies on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with the help of our expert guest this morning, Dr. Ray Rodriguez, who is uh, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and a pediatric allergist and immunologist at UMMC. So this is your chance out there to ask the experts today. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kids and teens at mpbonline dot org. Doctor Rodriguez, good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank, nice to be here. Thank oh, you. Th- thank you for coming this morning. So you were on, I think, uh, sometime in about a year ago That's with right. us talking about allergies in general. We thought mm-hmm. we'd sort of focus in on food allergies this morning. Remind us, tell us, tell us a little bit about where you're from, your background and training. And, uh, sure. Um, I'm from Puerto Rico. Uh, I went to a medical school back home in Puerto Rico, and the Army paid for my medical school. So I spent 13 years in the Army. That's where I did all my training. Uh, my Pete's residency was in El Paso, Texas, and my allergy was at Walter Reed in D.C. And after 13 years, left the Army and went back home to Puerto Rico. And after 15 years in private practice, I decided to come back to academic medicine. I've been here in Mississippi for the last four and a half years. So what, what interested you in allergy and immunology? The first thing was patients with asthma during my pediatric residency. And, and we know that around 70-30% of patients with asthma are allergic. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started. Yeah. And we certainly see a lot of it in Mississippi. I don't know what it, I think you had commented to me uh, a couple of times just about how many kids we have with allergic conditions in oh, the state of Mississippi. Imp- it's impressive. Um, worst cases of asthma I have seen so far have been here. Also, worst cases with eczema mm-hmm. here in Mississippi. And uh, how interesting is the kids with multiple food allergies at such a young age? Uh, I have seen kids with uh, fish allergy around eight, nine months of age already. Wow. That's a lot. So uh, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what is an allergy to something? I think a lot of people have some misconceptions about what is an allergy and what's not an allergy. Uh, yeah. You uh, have an allergic reaction. What it means, your immune system decides, I don't like this substance anymore. You know, it can be a food. It can be a, an environmental allergen. It has to be a protein. It cannot be a sugar. Mm-hmm. And then your immune system will develop an allergic response either by a production of an allergic antibody named IgE, or sometimes it can be a cellular immune response that doesn't involve an allergic antibody. Now, the patients will, will remember, will recognize fast an allergic response to foods when, for example, you are allergic to peanuts or seafood. As soon as you eat them, what will happen? It's an, it's an allergic response. You're going to see what hive, difficulty breathing, throat tightness. And that's easy to recognize. But sometimes the symptoms can be different. For example, 25% of patients with eczema 
and can have food allergies, but they will not develop the full hive, but the eczema will get worse. Hmm. So the so the actual rash on their skin will it can worsen get worse. Also, there are some patients who can have um, gastrointestinal symptoms with diarrhea, even sometimes with uh, rectal bleeding at such hmm. a young age. And it's it's sort of confusing sometimes. I think you know uh, we see plenty of rashes uh, mm-hmm. as pediatricians, as allergists, and it's really difficult sometimes without seeing them. But really, that urticarial rash is is the one that uh, you know hives yeah, is hives. the one mm-hmm. that goes along with that allergic reaction, right? That's right. Uh, these are the red, raised, uh, itchy. They can feel warm to the touch. They can be flat. But the key thing is, it, it's just like grazing. And certainly there's lots of other things that can sort of masquerade sometimes as um, as an, a true allergy to something. We, we have, uh, you know, food poisoning. Food a lot poisoning. of people mm-hmm. would think, well, I'm allergic to that food. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's actually a, a response, uh, an infectious response to the, whatever bacteria mm-hmm. or virus that you caught with that. Um, certainly you can have side effects from many different medications uh, that are not a true mm-hmm. allergy, but a, a side effect. Some of those might cause some diarrhea and some mm-hmm. other symptoms uh, that are similar to allergic reactions. Skin irritations. We've got lots of irritants uh, in the environment. Um, I know, you know, my son came, went outside, came back in, half his face was swollen one time. I'm like, well, it's not necessarily, it could be an allergy mm-hmm. that caused that, that he got in contact with, but it could be an irritant too. That's right. Um and then, you know, diarrhea, certainly everybody gets that from time to time, I think. So if you haven't, you are lucky. We would love to hear from you and learn from you so we don't have to do that. We've got one caller on the line. Uh, the number to call today if you have a question about food allergies in your children or family is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email to... Kids and Teens at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Frank in Jackson. Good morning, Frank. Oh, oops. I think we lost Frank. Frank, if you're still listening, please call back. I think he had a question about uh, about peanuts. Why peanuts lately? Let's go ahead and start tackling that. Maybe we can get Frank back on the line. Sure. We know that the most common food that are using kids are what? Milk, egg, soy, wheat, and peanuts. Um, when I did my training, we used to say that peanut allergies used to last for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And now we know that around 30% of patients with peanut allergies can lose their sensitivity over time. Now, there's a recent study that came out last year. Now, we used to say that do not introduce peanuts till you're around a year and a half or two years mm-hmm. of age. But there was a study done last year that they took patients from four months up to 11 months of age who either have had eczema or egg allergy or both. Mm-hmm. And what they did, they uh, divided in two groups. The control groups, they recommended prevention, avoidance of ingestion of peanuts for the first five years of life. The second group, they started introducing peanuts at such a young age, mm-hmm. around four months to 11 months. And they, they were given like two grams three times per week, and they followed those patients consistently for five years. And then what they were looking for is was to look if the incidence of peanut allergy was less or more in patients who peanuts were introduced at such a young age. Well, they found out that it was the opposite. 
introducing peanut allergies at such a young age decreases the risk of developing, of developing peanut allergies by 80%. Wow. And that's a big uh, that, deal. That's, that's yeah. mighty impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. So, uh, yeah, so that's uh, sort of counterintuitive to what we were thinking beforehand, that early introduction of, of that at least. Should in, be avoided yeah. earlier. But, uh, but now it may be just the opposite. I think we got Frank back on the line. Let's go to Frank right now from Jackson. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Sorry about that. Sorry about losing that's, you there. That's quite all right. Um, I'm glad the doctor just talked about peanuts. I'm 65 years old, and I lived in New York and Mississippi and Ohio, a bunch of places. And during that time period, there were always kids who said they didn't like ice cream or didn't like peanuts. You know, they, they couldn't, we didn't say it was an allergy. This kid is just weird. He doesn't like peanuts and ice cream, and we let it, let it go with that. Mm-hmm. But now kids are having violent reactions to peanuts. Now, uh, it, it, and other nuts and, and even milk. And some people are saying, well, maybe it's the hybrid that they have developed with the peanuts because we don't have uh, too many varieties of peanuts that are being sold commercially. And we know that uh, they've changed the requirements on the milk. I mean, they doubled the um, amount of phlegm that can be in the milk. Uh, but something has changed in the last 15 years that is, uh, was not in the food supply previously. Uh, I know the doctor mentioned that, um, that study. Uh, my grandmother always said the kids didn't play in the dirt enough. Uh, so, uh, where does that stand scientifically now? You didn't mention that early introduction of peanuts seems to be uh, a good thing to do, but what about the other allergies? Do the kids need to play in the dirt and eat some dirt? <laughs> oh, you you got a point there. The, there's a concept named the hygiene hypothesis. When, uh, you know, for the last 25, 30 years, you know, everything has changed in the sense of uh, kids are staying indoors most of the time. Uh, they also get infection and usually they get treated with antibiotics. So they don't develop a, a strong immune response with their T cells. And the constant, you, you compare patients who live in the, in the cities versus patients who live in farms. Patients who live in farms, they have a less incidence of allergies compared to patients who live in the cities. So, you know, living, you know, living outside, staying with animals might, you know, might be a, a thing to, you know, to keep in mind in trying to decrease your allergies. You know, Frank, I saw an article, uh, it wasn't a very large article, but they looked in uh, at um, Amish communities in Pennsylvania and compared them to... Uh, you know, previous studies, just like Dr. Rodriguez were saying, were, were rural versus uh, inner city uh, and sort of comparing those. But sometimes you can find differences in the people that live in those different places, so it's hard to match them up. This study looked at Amish communities and kids in, in those communities and compared them to non-Amish families. Mm-hmm. And some of the uh, things that they noticed in the Amish communities were that they usually had a barn that was pretty close to the house. Most of the time, the kids went barefoot, and, you know, if you go barefoot in a barn, you're going to run into something uh, or multiple things. So they were exposed to a lot of other things. The houses were not any different in either Mm -hmm. one of those situations. They were very clean. Uh, You know, it wasn't a uh, that you have to keep things dirty. Uh, it may be more of those those things that you're coming into contact with. Certainly, we would never advocate that you don't feed your kids, you know, don't feed your kids dirt. Um, <laughs> but there may be something to being exposed to those kinds of things early on. And they found the same things with the Amish communities. They had uh, less, uh, I don't, don't believe they specifically looked at food allergies, but they did look okay. at asthma and allergic conditions and found that they had less. Uh, and that's, 
you know, it's we can't say right now that that's a cause and effect. Uh, those studies weren't really designed to do that, but they show what we call associations. In other words, you know, we, we see that there may be an association between that. Um, and, Frank, I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe Dr. Rodriguez could comment on this, too. You know, as far as from an allergy standpoint, I know our foods are a lot different maybe than they were 50 years ago. Uh, particularly anything you grow uh, is different over time, uh, just even through natural processes. It can't stay the same. If it stays the same, it's probably going to die out uh, just because of pressures from from the natural pressures from the environment. But from an allergy standpoint, it's probably this. Is it the same allergens with the proteins? I mean, it's pretty pretty much the same. It's almost the same. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it has to be a protein, cannot be a sugar. Right. You know, one of the things we get always um, some misconception is uh, I'm allergic because I have lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. You know, lactose intolerant, what it is, you cannot digest lactose. So it's actually the protein in the milk because the lactose is the sugar. It's sugar, that's right. right. Um, because right. you cannot digest lactose, the sugar, you have what cramps, diarrhea. Right. But with an allergic response, is to the protein itself, to the cow's milk protein that you have the reaction to. Yeah. So thank you, Frank. That's a good questions to bring up. We're going to uh, take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Rodriguez about food allergies. If you'd like to uh, to ask us a question this morning, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. for MPB comes from Fondren's First Thursday this Thursday, September 1st, beginning at 5 p.m. A community event featuring local art, merchants, live music, family activities, and craft beer. More details at FondrenFirstThursday.city. The new MPB Public Media app is available now. Watch MPB TV, listen to MPB Think and Music Radio, and stay in the know with MPB News. Search for the MPB Public Media app in the App Store and Google Play stores today. Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is. It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. Hey y'all, it's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about gardening and garden related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Ray Rodriguez, Assistant Professor of Allergy and Immunology and Pediatrics at UMMC. And we're talking about food allergies. So we've got probably plenty of people listening that have a question about that. You can give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email to kidsandteens at Online. Dot org. So you gave us a list, Dr. Rodriguez, mm-hmm. about uh, you know some of the more common things: milk, eggs, wheat, um, soy, uh, tree nuts, mm-hmm. fish, shellfish. It, so, are there any two? If you have an allergy against one of those, is there any one that's more serious uh, in a, as far as reactions go? What, which one of those do they cause? Or are they pretty much all the same? Well, depends depends on the symptoms that the patient develop with the food. I mean, with the with the food allergies. Either milk can be so severe. I mean, but the most com- the most severe ones are the peanuts. I always get worried about patients with peanuts and tree nuts and shellfish allergy, even fish allergy, mm-hmm. because they can be so severe in response. And I mean, for example, I've seen patients with shellfish allergy that even with the smell when they're cooking the shrimp either in boiling or mm-hmm. putting in a barbecue, the smell itself can trigger symptoms. Wow. Uh, for my patient with peanut allergies, I always tell them, look, you're not, you need to read all the food labels. I always tell them, do not go to certain restaurants who provide mm-hmm. buckets of peanuts you know, when you walk into the door. Even though, even though you will not eat it, you're going to get exposed to whatever is on the table or right. on the chair. So. Is, is there a difference with peanuts with uh, dry roasted versus cooked peanuts? Yes. Um, um, boiling the peanuts is the nature of the protein. Mm-hmm. I've seen some patients who can eat the boiled peanut, but not the dry roasted. Dry roasted peanut will bring the antigens even more. Yeah, and it's drier. It can get aerosolized. That and makes sense, mm-hmm. yeah. But if it's cooked like that, it, it could break it down That's in right. some cases. Remember, peanuts and tree nuts are different. Right. You know, peanuts is a legume. It's underground, and right. tree nuts is up in the tree. So you can be allergic to peanuts and not being allergic to tree nuts. Mm-hmm. But very frequently we see allergies to both of them. If you have an allergy, you know, let's say that uh, that you have uh, uh, 18-month-old and you've noticed that with peanuts that they're having all the symptoms we mentioned before, the, earth, the hives, mm-hmm. uh, they have a rash, they may have some a little bit of trouble breathing, uh, difficult, difficulty with breathing. So, uh, you know, should they, um, you know, what should they do at that point? What, what what next steps should they do? Should they try to just treat that at home with certain things or... Is there anything they can do up well, front? Usually the first reaction, they they never knew about the reaction. They were allergic. So after it happens, definitely need to be seen by an allergist. And they need to be tested to find out if it's through positive reaction. If they do have a reaction and positive skin testing or a blood test, treatment, for, treatment will be avoidance. You cannot mm-hmm. eat peanuts. okay? And always we, we need to give them an epinephrine device or what. We have available is the EpiPen. So, so how does that work? So, tell everybody how that works when they have an allergic response. 
When you have a, a response, a severe response, what happens, your allergic antibody interacts with your allergy cells. Allergy cells will open up and release a whole bunch of substances like histamine, but and triggering what? The hive, the bronchospasm, it can lower your blood pressure, it can develop throat tightness. And antihistamine alone, using Benadryl when you have uh, severe cough, difficulty breathing, or throat tightness will not do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need to use the EpiPen. It's sort of like, uh, you know, after the fact, you try to shut everything down. You, that's really too that's late right. to do it. Yeah. And the problem with food allergies, with severe reactions, uh, and increased death, is the delay of using the EpiPens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that is something that's important. So you mentioned testing. Are there different tests for different ages or different, uh, you know, different uh, possible food types? Because the history does sort of drive things. That's the best thing that we have to sort of say, okay, this is what you're allergic to because it's the real thing. I mean, they've challenged themselves. Yes. Um, Usually we try not to do uh, like a shotgun approach in doing food allergy tests. Sure. Because that's a lot of needles if you're doing skin uh, tests. Yes. Yeah. Or or pricks. But... um, we go by history, mm-hmm. um, and the history will will more or less tell me to what I need to test the patient for. Mm-hmm. Because what happens if I do a shotgun approach and do 100 different foods, you might find that 30% of them will come back positive, but there's no history whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's considered a false positive. That's why you always need to do the the skin test or the blood test based on what? On history. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I've had some... I think, unfortunately, some some families have gone to different places and they did, uh, you know, sort of the shotgun approach, as you mentioned, where they got tested for everything mm-hmm. and without really understanding that you're going to get these false positives. And they've avoided all kinds of different foods, even when that child had been exposed to those foods in the past and had no problems. That's, so, that's right. And that's because of the problem trying to educate like, the parents. No, there was no history whatsoever. Right. I mean, go ahead and introduce those foods again. Yeah. So, uh, so after they're tested, then food avoidance would be the biggest mm-hmm. thing, and and trying to uh, to do that in a systemic sort of way in the home. Yes, uh, in the home. Yeah. First of all, I will I will print them out a lab, uh, handout that will help them out how to read food labels, mm-hmm. looking for uh, uh, those magic words in the label that might suggest that it might contain peanuts or milk or egg or wheat or soy, and then um, they always have to carry an EpiPen. You know, that's my, my beef thing. I mean, you, you always have to carry the EpiPen with you at all times because accidents might happen. Sure. Uh, usually they're going to happen away from home. Mm-hmm. And my, my main worries with patients with peanut allergies are certain times of the year, like birthday parties. Mm-hmm. Halloween yeah. is my main thing. I mean, it's, I always get so worried about my patients. So you always have to carry an EpiPen. And... um the EpiPen is a very expensive device. Especially lately. I, was going to bring that up. I mean, that's a big deal yep. um, that uh, has been in the news. If you haven't noticed it, I'm sure everybody who has had to refill their EpiPen lately knows about it. And yeah. in Mississippi, I think it's running around $400, right? Uh, well, I heard one patient recently that uh, they didn't have any health insurance and it's around $600. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's some of the quotes I've seen nationally too. Yeah. So, so that's a, it's a big deal. There's been a lot in the news about that, a lot of pressure on the company that uh, manufactures the EpiPens to uh, to reduce those prices because uh, there's not really much of an alternative, not much. at there's, least one that patients can use. Yeah, there's another one uh, available, but it, it requires two steps to use mm-hmm. it. And sometimes, you know, it's easier to do it fast. Yeah. And um, 
I always tell my parents to open before you go to the, when you go to the pharmacy, do not leave the pharmacy without checking the expiration date. Mm-hmm. You never assume because you're getting a new one that device is going to have an expiration date of a year. No, yeah, you can get one that has three or four months. So always ask the pharmacist to get one that will last for the whole year. And we should probably explain how that works. So the EpiPen is a device that you'd place if you have an allergic reaction. Uh, the child, if it, in an older child, they can actually do it themselves, or a parent. Uh, or you know somebody else that's there, an adult, uh, can put the tip of that onto the, usually the thigh, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then uh, you push a button on top of it, and it delivers the epinephrine, which is a liquid. It's in a liquid state through a small needle, very small needle. Actually, causes very little discomfort um, into uh, you know in through the skin uh, and delivers that to the body. So. And generally speaking, most liquids, you know, most tablets, they're fine even, you know, a year or two years later. Uh, but most liquids, uh, they do, particularly if you're carrying them everywhere and it's in the Mississippi summer, yeah. uh, you want to replace those after a year. So there's a little bit, particularly, I know that's a worry right now with the increase in the price. In fact, one of my patients said, hey, can I just use, the, I mean, this one, we haven't used it. It's two years old. Um, I don't want to go pay 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. What, what do I do? No, you have to get a new one. You know, uh, the potency of the of the medication of the epinephrine goes down over time, mm-hmm. um, and so we recommend always get a new ones. I mean, you have to, yeah, because you never know if it's going to work for you or not. Yeah, and they and they are really life saving. Uh, you know, kids that have severe reactions. And the most severe reactions cause problems in uh, the mucosal layer. Layer that's sort of the the cells that line uh, the airways, and you can have such edema or swelling in those airways that you can't breathe. That's right. Um, and and once it gets to that point, uh, you really uh, it's there's a surgery is basically the the, uh, the correction for that with. Uh, you know, doing a tracheostomy or or an emergent intubation to try to protect that airway, and epinephrine. If you give it early with these epipens, it can prevent that. Sure, I mean, other and also they can also have, for example, hypotension because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. such a severe reaction. Um, I always tell the parents too when you get the epipens, do not leave the epipens inside the car, as they were saying, yeah. because uh, it gets so hot inside the car over 110 degrees. And the heat will weaken the medication. Yeah. It you weakens at, me Yeah, when I'm like five <laughs> minutes in the car. So. If you look at the EpiPen device towards the bottom, you're going to see a window. And it's supposed to look clear, transparent. That, is, that would mean it's good. If it turns yellowish, it means that oh, with some sediments in there, that means that something went wrong with the drug. Yeah. And so that's even, even if it's not yeah, Even if it's not date. expired yeah. by, by date, if it looks like that, just get a new one. Right. Sort of like my fish tank, too. Uh, so, all right, we're going to take another break here. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Rodriguez about food allergies and talk about it, some of the presentations and how we would approach food allergies in younger kids and children. Mm-hmm. Plenty of time for you to call with your questions or comments. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.com. We'll be right back after this break.
hear print impaired, MPB's radio reading service is here for you. Our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you. For information and to see if you qualify, call us at 601-432-6301. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, y'all, it's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener, and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about gardening and garden-related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. A few years back, eight students chose three different paths. Community College. My name is Jacob Miley. Hi, my name is Nancy Chen. The University of Maryland. Reese Hall. Carrie Chong. Alejandro Gonzalez. And private colleges. Evan Bonham. Margie Fuchs. Becca Arbacher. I graduated in May. Were they the right choices? Our college project reunion later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Ray Rodriguez. We're talking about food allergies and kids and anybody else in your family. If you would love to ask us a burning question about food allergies, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So you mentioned early on that we now know some of these uh, or a lot of these allergies uh, will go away with time, at least a significant number of them, maybe not all of them. But since a lot of them, we mentioned peanuts, we'll just use that for an example, mm-hmm. since they cause, can cause such severe reactions, um, how do you, do you attempt to reintroduce those, or how do you do that? Good. First, if the patient was initially seen because he had a reaction to peanuts, we allergists would tend to do the allergy skin testing. Mm-hmm. We prefer doing allergy skin testing versus blood tests because the skin test is more sensitive, and we get the results in 15 minutes. Remember the test, the skin test will tell me if it's positive or negative or not quantify me yet, the, mm-hmm. the level of the reaction. So if the skin test is positive, then we, you know, tell the patient or the parents, you know, to avoid peanuts. And then once a year from then on, I will do the blood test. And the reason why, because the blood test will give me a number, will quantify me a number. Mm-hmm. And we can follow that number over time to see where we're heading. Are we, tra- are we trending down? Are we staying up? Or we're getting even higher. So that would make it more likely if it was trending down. That's that they were right. If it's trending that. down, and if, if, if it goes below a certain level, like less than 0.35, then that means a zero. That's negative. Mm-hmm. Then I will do, I will repeat the skin test to confirm it. 
If the skin test is negative, then we have to test our negative skin and blood. And then the next step we'll do, what we do, we'll do an open food challenge to peanuts in-house in, at the office. And how we do that, you know, we can do it with peanut butter, we can do it with dry roasted peanuts. And what we do every 15 minutes, we introduce a, a bigger amount mm-hmm. every 15 minutes. Uh, if we use peanut butter, it can be up to two tablespoons of uh, peanut butter, it'll be around 35 grams. If we use roasted peanut, it's around 40 grams of peanut that he needs to eat during uh, more than during two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. If he's able to pass the challenge, then the patient can, again, reintroduce. reintroduce. But if he fails the challenge, obviously, he cannot. Right. Because even though the skin tests and the blood tests were negative, 30% of patients can still react. And it's really uh, important. And that's done in the office, In right? the office, not at home. Yes, because if you're at home... You know, we mentioned, you know, Epi can be life-saving, but you have to go to the ER after you use it because it does wear off and you can have some late effects of that allergy. And in an office situation, you have those medications that you can give as soon as you see a reaction, right? And you don't have that at yes. home. Yeah, definitely. You need to, um, after you use the EpiPen, you need to go straight to the ER or call 911. Yeah. But so don't don't try if you if your child has a food allergy. Take on message here. If they have a food allergy and you want to see if they still have that, it needs to be in a controlled environment, so that if they do have that reaction, you'll be in a place where they can receive medical attention. And uh, unfortunately, you can't can't do that at home. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's important. But that's that's promising because a mm-hmm. lot of kids, they don't just have one food allergy. They can have multiple. They have multiples. Uh, we did a challenge yesterday with peanuts and a patient that over time, everything came, came back all negative. And thank God she was able to tolerate the challenge, challenge yesterday pretty good. When you feed them those peanuts... After not having them for years, do they do their eyes light up? Do they like? Are they so? Glad oh my God! Have- yesterday she, uh, uh, <laughs> she was so happy. Uh, uh, what happened? Her dad works in a peanut farm. Oh wow! So yeah. able to um, yeah yeah. So get she can peanut be- pretty pretty yeah. easily. <laughs> Uh, she was so happy. Yeah, that's great. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, sorry, I could, I just got this mental picture of somebody being uh, allergic to, uh, to, to milk and suddenly being able, being able to uh, eat ice cream. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. So that's good. So you can. So there is, there is some chance that you might can reintroduce it later under a controlled conditions. What about um, food allergies in really young kids, like in infants? So do you do you approach those any differently for some of these younger kids that come in? Well, it depends on the symptoms the patient will have. Um, we have seen patients during the first four or five, three or four or five months of age, they will start having diarrhea with blood, and that's a, uh, an allergic response usually to, to milk, uh, proctitis. And the good thing is they tend to grow that pretty fast. Um, there are some other patients who will not develop hive, but what will develop is uh, severe vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal distension, and that's called F-PIES. That stands for food protein-induced enterocolitis. And the problem is that that response to the to the food is not an allergic in antibody response. It's a serotonin response. So the skin tests or blood tests are, are not useful at all. Mm-hmm. And then what we need to do is by history trying to identify the food. And the most common foods are usually milk, soy, and cereals. And, and, it, and that's a pretty, you know, F-Pies is a pretty severe oh, they, reaction to that. You bet. They get sub, 
uh, vomiting and diarrhea. They can become dehydrated. They can lethargic. Mm -hmm. So uh, usually by history, you're able to pinpoint yeah. that kind of condition. Uh, but with FPIs, because then there's no blood test or skin test you can do, we have to challenge those patients at least once a year to see they're able to outgrow that. Yeah, that's difficult. I yeah. mean, given your child... Vomiting and diarrhea is never a fun thing, or at no. least the possibility of it. Uh, you, do you think, you know, our first caller said, uh, asked a question, you know, now we see so much more incidence of allergies, it, it, you know, things like FPIs, do you think that that was there, uh, maybe misdiagnosed as, uh, as maybe an infectious um, uh, cause of that, or do we really know why we have any more allergies. Well, some studies have shown that the prevalence of food allergies have gone up during the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I did my residency in pediatrics back back in the early 90s, um, you read the books, FPI was like a, a couple of sentences in the paragraph about FPIs. And since then, uh, I think we uh, the prevalence has gone up, but I think we are more keen to diagnose them very mm -hmm. aggressively now. Um, but again, it's, I think it's, everything is going up. So let's say little Susie or Johnny, they're um, four months of age and developed a milk allergy, milk protein allergy. So they're switched appropriately to a different formula at that point. Um, and uh, from there, um, the parents ask, well, is there any risk of them also having other allergic conditions like asthma or skin, uh, you know, eczema? Is that is that associated with that? Uh, yeah, um, there's something named the asthma predictive index. Uh, for example, um, why do patients develop allergies or asthma? Well, there's multiple factors involved, but the most important factors of all is genetics. Mm -hmm. We are a reflection of our parents, no? If one of the parents suffers from allergies, you have more or less a 25% chance. If both, it goes up to 52%. Um, but having food allergies can, you know, can be a risk factor for developing eczema, can also be a risk factor for developing asthma over time. And just the concept of um, the allergic march. The first allergic disease that we tend to see during the first year of life will be eczema. And that is followed by food allergies. That is followed by asthma. And the last one usually shows up around ages five, six, seven is uh, nasal allergies. Why nasal allergies tend to show up last around five, six, seven years of age because you need to be exposed to multiple seasons before your immune system kicks in. Because hmm. most of those are seasonal. That's right, for pollen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we certainly have our share in Mississippi, particularly this year with the heat, humidity. Oh, yeah, it was a hot uh -huh. winter. I mean, it was 80 degrees Christmas Day. Yeah, yeah. Wearing shorts during <laughs> Christmas. That's my trademark right there. We're talking about... Uh, Food Allergies with Dr. Ray Rodriguez here in the studio this morning. If you have a question or a comment about food allergies in kids or your family, uh, we're gonna, uh, uh, we've got plenty of time for you to call us. Um, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to speak with Gail.
conventions are over, candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we will be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Your favorite MPB Think Radio shows are now available on your favorite podcast app. So open that app and subscribe to any local program you love, like Everyday Tech. Android does have the most delicious operating system, I find. Jelly, it's jelly bean. The Gestalt Gardener. What's up? What you got going on? And of course, MPB's Season Pass with myself, Sam Wells, and Jay White. That's my guys, man. So what are you waiting for? Go search and subscribe today. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Ray Rodriguez, and we're talking about food allergies this morning. So I had a quick question about, mm-hmm. uh, about you know, an infant with milk versus breast milk. So incidence of how many times do you see allergies to breast milk? Pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. So for us, what I would, I would uh, uh, predict... Um, so, and, and actually, that's a big plug for, for breastfeeding, too. That's right. I mean, that's uh, probably the easiest, best way that you can provide nutrition and lots of other benefits. And there's a lot of uh, prevention of uh, allergic or atopic diseases, particularly asthma, with uh, breastfeeding, early breastfeeding and prolonged breastfeeding, right? That's right. So yeah. we always promote breastfeeding. So that's always a good idea. Let's go to Roberta in Natchez. Good morning, Roberta. Are you there, Roberta? Hold on just a second. Sorry, we're having some difficulties this morning. All right, I think you're there, Roberta. Are you there, Roberta? Okay, we'll see what's going on there. Sorry about that. Can we go to Miranda in Oxford? All right, Miranda. Hi. Thanks for calling this morning. Um, I have a question about... Uh, Milk protein allergy that could have been induced by maybe the rotavirus. So, um, so tell us a little bit how that how that developed in time. So, so last year, my daughter went to preschool for the first time while she was one, going on two, and so you know we got the rotavirus in our house like three or four times, or what I assume was the rotavirus three or four times, and then a couple of months later. She started getting a rash around her mouth, and I'm pretty good at figuring out allergy stuff, so we cut out milk for a weekend, and it went away. And I started getting the rash around my mouth, too, like right on my chin, both of us on the chin. So we cut out milk, both of us, for a while, and it went away, and then it... uh, I gave her almond milk for about a year, and then we started reintroducing milk, and she was breastfeeding this whole time, too, with in addition to the regular cow's milk. So she started drinking almond milk. Both of us, for a year, drank almond milk. And then 
<laughs> Sorry, she's in here, too. <laughs> she's, um, <laughs> she's telling us the story, yeah. Yeah. So then it went away. I started giving her milk again. Both of us were fine. And then we, I stopped breastfeeding, and now it seems like it's coming back for her. Well, well, I haven't seen any study linking rotavirus infections with allergies. Um, so I don't know. No, it happened four months before that, so it's pretty unlikely. You know, one of the big questions we always get asked, why might my, my, my son or daughter just develop allergies? I mean, why their immune system decided to click in? Uh, we don't know. That answer cannot, cannot be answered at this moment. But if she's having some rashes around the mouth, um, and you always associate that with milk, probably she needs to be tested just to make sure that it's uh, an IgE response. Uh, to the milk. I've seen some perioral rashes, with, for example, with um, tomato-based sauces, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, citruses, you know, like orange juices mm-hmm. or lemons. Uh, sometimes kids can also, with the lip smacking, mm-hmm. most of the time, right. can also develop the rash around the mouth. But if you have seen by history that every time she drinks the milk, if it happens a day or two later, um, so most likely it's not an IG response, a cellular immune response, and most probably you have to stay away for a little while. Yeah, and it's difficult to really pinpoint that down without testing about, uh, you know, what's going on. But if you've had that many problems and want to reintroduce milk products, testing is probably the way to go with yeah. an allergist. So, all right. Thank you, Miranda, for calling. I think we, we were able to get Roberta back from Natchez. Good morning, Roberta. Good morning. Thank you morning. for hanging on there. <laughs> Do you have a question for us this morning? I do. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background first. Um, Both my mom and dad have food allergies, and all three of my siblings have pretty severe food allergies as well. Um, The most common out of all of them is a corn allergy, um, which, you know, uh, with my dad, it presents in migraines and my brother as well. Um, just a, a terrible, terrible reaction to corn. And my brother's is severe enough that even flour milled on the same equipment as corn causes him to have a reaction. And I was just wondering, you know, his allergy presented when he was in his 30s um, and hadn't had any reactions to it that he could identify before. And so we were wondering if, we all have it. You know, I'm, I'm not yet 230, but should I be worried about corn, particularly corn sweeteners like corn syrup, dextrose, that kind of thing in my diet? So have you, so the reactions on your kids uh, uh, for the corn too, or what, you mentioned multiple foods, no? Um, yes, there are multiple foods. For my brother, it's mm-hmm. just corn. Just corn. Mm-hmm. For um, my, one of my sisters, it's um, she has celiacs as well as a corn allergy. Um, you, for her, it's just corn sweeteners. Mm-hmm. And then also she has a soy allergy. Um, and uh, my dad has wheat allergy. And then my other sister, she just presented with a, a milk allergy, but she worked in a lab with cow protein. Mm-hmm. And so now she has reactions when she eats beef as well. Okay. So probably, have they all been tested already or, or just by history you guys been avoiding all that stuff? Right. My um, sister who has the most allergies was tested as a child. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and she also went through a lot of elimination diets mm-hmm. because when she was in college, she had a diet that used too many foods, like she ate too similar foods, and she actually started having more reactions to foods that she ate all the time. So she had to do a rotational diet to make sure she didn't overdo certain okay. foods. So um, definitely they need, to be, they need to be seen and obviously tested to check is it a, is an allergic response by antibody. And if that's the case, that definitely uh, the key thing is to read all the food labels. Right. I mean, there's many things that you have in, that might contain milk, even soy. You'd be surprised how many foods they con- it contains soy and also with corn. Um, but if it's mostly not hive or uh, lip swelling, tongue swelling, throat swelling, so most probably uh, that's a good thing. It's not those kind of reactions. Uh, and usually with the diet restriction should be the, case, should be the management for those patients. Right. So as far as um, allergy presentation later in life, is that something that's common? Well, yeah, it can really happen. No. Yeah, it can happen. I've seen adults, too, that, you know, never had any problem with shrimp or peanuts, and out of the blue, it decided to, immune system decided to change. And why is that? We don't know yet. I mean, uh, even the same with drug allergies to penicillin. You're able to take penicillin on your life, and then out of the blue, your immune system kicks in and decides not to like penicillin anymore. So why is the switch, the light switch turns on for allergies? Well, we don't know that yet. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, thank you for calling for that question. We had uh, one question up there about alpha-gal real quick in the next uh, minute and a half. Now, what is what is that, alpha-galactosemia? Um, al- well, alpha-gal yeah. uh, is a protein. Uh, it just got, let's see, for the last 10 years, um, oh, my God, uh, he's the professor in, in Virginia. He's, he's from uh, England who uh, starts seeing patients with reactions to beef. Mm-hmm. And by history, he started getting more history on those patients, and they were hunters. They like to hunt. Mm-hmm. And he, he associated it with ticks, tick bites. So patients who have been exposed to tick bites have developed this uh, response to, uh, to the alpha-gal portion of the... Uh, the alpha-gal in the tick is similar to some of the proteins of the beef. So the tick is is sort of the the, the trigger the trigger for that. That's right? right, and it happens more in the southern uh, United States. Oh, right? you bet. That's right. because that's where the ticks are. And also, you like to hunt here over here a lot. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and that's a tad. That's a tad. <laughs> a little bit more than Puerto Rico. Right? Uh, yeah, we don't hunt. Okay. I mean, we have no deer there. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I guess that would be the avoidance of the tick is even more important. That's right. Than uh, food avoidance, but that's something else that you can potentially test for, probably with the with. The, uh, initially, uh, is. Uh, even though we do the skin test with the beef, but it's a blood test that we need to order. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, something new out there. A lot of new and emerging uh, things in the area of allergy immunology. So uh, lots of stuff that we don't know yet that we're learning. Uh, just like the peanut reintroduction or, or, or introduction early uh, that uh, we talked about with that study. Yeah, now we year. have some studies um, uh, giving patients oral immunotherapy with food. Yeah, that yeah, sounds really promising. I mean, for the next five, ten years, there's some interesting thing coming up. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us, Dr. Rodriguez. We've enjoyed it today. Thank you all for calling on Southern Remedy Kids Thank and you. Teens. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Sam Wells. And special thanks again to Dr. 
Dr. Rodriguez, for being here this morning. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.